the overall term that uh, expresses what we're doing is bhavana, uh, sometimes referred, translated as cultivation, making become, bringing things, qualities into being. Uh, bhavana. And it's a kind of uh, an interesting term because it's very close to bhava, becoming. In fact, they kind of run along. Bhavana is much more deliberate, bringing forth a desire-based to bring forth skillful qualities. Where bhava, becoming, is a kind of pathological compulsion (laughs) that's driven by tanha, craving. So one, bhavana is, is... directed with desire, chanda, interest, motivation. Bhava is grabbed and driven by tanha, craving. And the difference is that one is, chanda is deliberate, focused, and something you can moderate. Eager, inspired, uh, or willing, or I can bear with this. (laughs) Because the underlying principle is you're looking at, you're trying to receive every situation, internal, external, that arises, touches you, affects you. And see, is it possible to use this as a soil, as the basis for skillful states? A skillful states might be one of just stepping back and being patient. It could be, skillful state could be of inquiring. Uh, It could be of resisting. No. Or it could be of lingering in, dwelling in, making much of. So it's different gradations and different cultivations that uh, are are essential. The eagerness, faith, inspiration, motivation, commitment, put effort into things. Willingness, well, I'll just go along and see how it goes. Somewhat quieter. Uh, or just open up and see what happens with no particular angle. I'm just willing to be here. Listen. Two, no. I can listen, hear that. I can notice that's going on, but I'm not participating in it. Mm. Which is not the same as like escapism or or aversion. It just means, uh uh-huh, step back. Let that one pass through. So we meet unskillful qualities with this sense of, nope, not for me. All the time that takes that interest, motivation to do that and the increasing skill of sati, mindfulness and wisdom Wisdom faculties such as uh, directed uh, appropriate attention, wise attention. Uh, And this flexibility of energy is is vigorous, or it's quiet, it's receptive, or it just steps back and no. Moderation. And all these are different angles, different flexions. If your mind is like a hand, you know how to pick things up, how to turn things, how to softly touch things, and how to just let things roll over it. And then you've got a strong hand, you've got a capable hand. It's not a fist, it's not grabbing things, nor is it, uh, you know, stuck into everything. It knows how to operate. And eagerness and interest to learn that.
Because the sense is, in this dhammic field, is that every situation is something you can derive out of that. Even by just acknowledging, no, this is foolish, not participating. But neither am I going to get started getting angry and snarly and grumpy and judgmental. It's just, I know how to handle my chitta, my awareness, so it doesn't rush out, it doesn't bristle, it doesn't collapse, it doesn't spin round, it doesn't get frantic, you're moderating it. With tanha, craving, it's really pretty stupid. Because <laughs> all he wants to do is suck something in. It's only got one gear, really, just to suck things in. It's like a, a hand that's got no flexion to it. And all he can do is just pop, try and put things in. Fill up the space with uh, sense objects. Or with identity and continuity, you know, bhava as a bhava tanha is a sense of continuity. Like, I want to know the future. I want to know where I'm going. I want to know what I will be. Will this give me this? There's a, there's a self involved with that. That's trying to perpetuate its existence into something else. Yeah, and that's this basic message: accumulate, accumulate. Yeah. And of course, the uh, uh, it worked. <laughs> but another salient quality of difference between chanda and tanha, desire and craving, is that chanda is something you can actually get to the end of. You can be satisfied enough. Oh, I've done what I needed to do. Enough. And. Experience contentment. Even though it's just I've done enough for now. And just abide calmly enjoying that. Tanha never gets that. This is something then you can begin to contemplate these different energies to them. Tanha always speeds up and proliferates and imagines. And Janda, you can moderate it. What's what's suitable now? What's the purpose now? What's the way of doing this now? Hmm? And this is then, one can then live a life that has purpose to it. We're not just aiming to be wiped out into some purposelessness, dispassion, just sort of vacant. Certainly see the Buddha, plenty of chanda, <laughs> you know, motivation for the welfare of other beings. Hmm. So then really we with this we begin to kind of look at review path cultivation. And the Buddha said one should be someone who is eager on the lookout for skillful states. On the lookout for skillful states. Yeah. Well this is a skillful state of just being quiet. Yeah. Knowing one's impetuous, driven state and just let's just calm, quiet down. Or whether it's something a skillful state of let me go forth, let me move forward, commit, you know, engage, uh, do something that's going to test me. Mm-hmm. And just knowing, and you really begin to, uh, as you cultivate, knowing you have certain uh, principles. One is that you. You fill up with the skillful, appropriate, the furthering, the relevant, the useful. In other words, you abandon the useless, irrelevant, corrupted, 
confused. So it leads to a kind of reforming, a reset of the person. I'm just using this word person not as a as a kind of historical identity, but the sense of there being a sense of presence. There's a functioning being here. What it is, who it is, hmm. It's not really a gender, it's not really a nationality, but there's certainly a sense of presence from which action can proceed and receptivity can be enhanced. And as you say, is the kind of base state that we, uh, we cultivate within. And it's this flexion and range of skillful factors and the knowing of how to operate them which becomes a primary skill, like a craftsperson knows the craft, knows when a, a vigorous axe is needed, knows when Refined chisel is needed, knows when sandpaper is needed, knows when varnish is needed. Mm. Yeah, knows when uh, it's time to let things mature. This is the kind of wisdom of cultivation. Very often, um, you know, before this becomes fulfilled, we look for one thing we can do. You know, like one or two things we can do. So give me precepts and then maybe some mindfulness. Mm. Which is, yeah, the way you have to start. And that, uh, uh, the entry points of Bhavana. But the entry point is right view, which is at least a kind of a a theoretical at first understanding that we are cultivating skillful states. Not just one thing, but many things. And we inherit the potential for that. So you're looking, you know, what fits? And the first one of these is faith sense of, I feel motivated, my faith is aroused, I'm gladdened, I'm inspired, I get a sense of direction. It may just flicker, it may be you know, strong, it may be comes in surges, it may be based upon a person or an action or a teaching. You get this rising faith quality, first of those. You know, chanda, one is motivated, Another seminal factor, virya. One is energy, that which one's motivated by, one feels faith arise. You can make that specific. You have a general faith in the path or in Buddhism, it's okay. Specific now, what are you going to do? Yeah. So you don't just have a kind of a nice dewy-eyed attraction, but say that means make it specific, virya, energy, towards some particular do it, or stop doing it. (laughs) In other words, you, you come from the opened quality of sattā, of faith, into an activated mode. And for specific things. And these can be pretty small. Well, it's like, okay, have a look at your, your consumptions. Take a look at your consumption habits. Yeah. Or your um, attitude towards people. Or your qualities of where you feel angry or irritable. Check something out. And 
put some energy into investigating, exploring, seeing what's skillful or unskillful in that. And then you get the four right efforts to refrain from and to keep persevering against unskillful influences and then to bring up and sustain skillful ones. And it's a fairly broad brush. People who are incredibly overactive maybe need to sustain quietening down. Not doing more, but perhaps doing less. Because the doing has become unskillful, agitated, frantic, compulsive. We always want to move against compulsions because this is where tanha lurks. Unnoticed. A compulsive blur. That's the sign. There's tanha running under it, craving, which we haven't seen. The craving always goes along with ignorance. So it's generally masked as a compulsive got to or can't. Check that out. Hmm. Requires energy. But also it requires sati, mindfulness, to have something that you you can bear in mind. And the first thing you bear in mind is the Dhamma. There are skillful states, there are unskillful states. When I bear that in mind, I look at that, how is that? Is this particular state something I'd like to sustain, keep going? Is for my welfare and the welfare of others? Doesn't feel like it. <laughs> okay. What about this one? Is this praised by wise people? Enriching, sustaining, comfortable, uplifting, gladdening? Feels pretty good. So you're bearing this in mind. And then you, you're bearing these teachings in mind. You use wise attention to keep steering your focus upon appropriate effort to restrain and the appropriate effort to linger and dwell in the skillful. And the result of that is the mind will begin to unify. Good samadhi collects, gathers, consolidates instead of being scattered and dissipated into past and future and should and shouldn't solidifies and there's a tremendous sense of presence and steadiness that comes with that when that's steady jitter is steady it can see very clearly because it's not shaky and fuzzy you get wisdom so these kind of qualities there are lists of them that you can bear in mind reflect upon Now often, in, in, certainly in, in recent generation or so in, in the West, we've had mindfulness, and mindfulness has now become kind of a very a widespread, which is, you know, has good features to it, but naturally it also gets commodified. Something doesn't work, slap some mindfulness on it. <laughs> Mindfulness in the army, mindfulness in sports, mindfulness in, you know, it's a kind of um, thing which means you sort of are able to steady your mind on what you're doing and not spin out. And it's neat, you know, you don't have to deal with this renunciation, you don't have to worry too much about virtue, you don't have to worry too much about loving kindness. You've got, you've got one thing, there you go, packaged, and here's how you do it. And uh, I'm sort of probably exaggerating that but there's that tendency to to try to simplify uh, to something much more packageable there you go pick it up you don't need all this religious stuff in the background Uh, and that was partly that's because that's how it arrived you know People going to Buddhist countries and thinking, well, you know, you can't bring too much Buddhism into a Christian country, it'll be resistant. So we'll just take this little bit, take this piece, user-friendly, 
no belief system, no faith, no devotions, no chanting, just nice, nice stuff. You get back in, and there you go. And you know, you can be average householder, pop one of these in, do your five days, your ten days, you'll be sorted. And then you get the different add-ons, you know, <laughs> with that. Mindfulness and mindfulness and <laughs> mindfulness for, yeah. mindfulness for gardeners, mindfulness for <laughs> footballers. <laughs> and it's kind of. Uh, yeah, I find it slightly uh, curious and comical in a way. <laughs> mm. Because obviously it, it is it's useful, but in a way it, it still sustains the old paradigm, which is, you know, here am I, person, individual within this, she's there, he's this, I'm living in this world, this is the real thing. And also very much, um, you know, my my mind is up in my head and body underneath it. And uh, the main thing is to get this head thing sorted out, focus on things I want to focus on, get a nice quality of attention, make me more effective and efficient. Okay, do that. And wait a minute. Uh, all right. It's loving-kindness. Here's a, do a loving-kindness retreat as well. Loving-kindness, you sit there, loving-kind, kind, kind, kind this, very all over the place. And you've got two things, you know. <laughs> you know. But you can do a mindfulness retreat, and then after you've done that, you can do a loving-kindness retreat to patch in the bits you didn't manage with mindfulness. So you, you can, this doesn't sound, it sounds like a bit like a restaurant, actually. Um, you know, because uh, it's very much ideas, and uh, and they find out actually that to a certain instances mindfulness can be traumatizing, <laughs> or or uh, not not exactly that, but it do, it can unfortunately get cause people to get fixated on traumatic experiences, and they just get frozen by it fear, anxiety, and they just get focused on it. And uh, don't really get the sense of mindfulness as something that's flexible. It's like a loop, that you can have a very wide loop, like mindfulness of how I am with people in a situation, or it can be a narrow loop, how I'm holding this particular thing in my hand. But the idea is that it's not fixed in a particular lock, but it's actually in accord with what is skillful, appropriate, which is determined by right view and appropriate attention. So it's much more balanced and holistic than uh, this idea of you know, just focusing on an object, which unfortunately has become quite common standard for meditation. And again, this definitely, people get good results from that. Some people do, and some people don't. I was remember one of my more recent retreats, well, not recently, actually, the last one I was walking around in, you know, flesh and blood retreat, I call them, those old things when three-dimensional. <laughs> and there's a person there, and they've been doing, uh, focusing on mindfulness of breathing, which they'd understood to be focusing on this point in your nostrils. And every time your mind wanders, you go back to this point. And uh, this person had anxiety issues. She was kind of someone who had a lot of anxiety issues. So whenever she did this, she'd get more and more anxious and tense because it's like she couldn't breathe. 
the more she narrowed her focus, the tenser and more anxious she got. And the instruction was, well, don't worry, just let that pass, go back to the breath. Drop the anxiety and just go back to the breath. So she can hardly breathe. And uh, her breath is getting extremely restricted. Because breathing itself has an energy to it. And if you don't focus on the energy, just focus on the sensations, you miss one of the most salient features of breathing in and out, which is it affects the nervous system. So if, you, if your nervous system's got, you hit some traumatic experience, your breathing starts to tighten up, and get fluttery and agitated. You should notice that. And if that's the case, you widen and soften your focus and widen to include your entire body. You can still be breathing, you are breathing, but you don't have to focus tight on it. So your mindfulness is able to be moderated by wisdom because you know that anxiety and tension is not a skillful state. So if that's occurring, your mindfulness has no wisdom to it. And there is such a thing as mitya sati, wrong mindfulness, just as there's samasati, right mindfulness. You bear that in mind. Mindfulness is not itself without qualification. So your desire, your motivation to seek and understand and get a feeling for skillful dhammas actually precedes guides mindfulness. If, by attending to this, it increases fruitful states and dispels unfruitful states, indeed, let me linger in this, because it will take to samadhi. If it doesn't, it takes me to fixation. And there's a lot of difference between a fixated, hypnagogic state and samadhi, or samar samadhi, which is much more warm, fluid, happy, balanced. And to know the difference. Hmm. So if your breathing is uh, something that's very much affects and is affected by the overall nervous energy of the body. It sits in the centre of it. And so if you're feeling comfortable, it's really great to use that as a time to enrich your experience of breathing because then that breath will carry that message through your entire body and your mind. So very simple instruction. Establish the four postures of the body really get the body established properly because that has intelligence and that's where nervousness, anxiety, feeling unsafe, feeling angry, all that's definitely feelable in the body and feeling comfortable, welcome, open and that's also discernible in the body. You don't need to figure it out with your head. You can feel it. Establish that when you're coming into the place where you're feeling pretty comfortable, steady, yeah, faith is there, you're interested, you're motivated. Okay, then you, well, how, how is breathing in there? How is that? How do I sense it? And not to prejudge what that is. Hmm? Is breathing that sense of expanding and subsiding? Is it a soft flow? Contemplate it as an energy moving through your body. Hmm? There's nowhere in the entire Pali Canon where the Buddha says you should focus on your nostrils. I haven't found it. It does say be mindful of 
breathing in, breathing out, whether breathing in, breathing out is long or short, and then just be aware of kaya sankara, this bodily formation, which is the bodily nervous system, and then soothe it, steady it. So you're moving in that direction because it's in that particular system where it becomes very obvious whether you're getting calmer and steadier, whether you're spacing out, whether you're agitated, or whether you're becoming more solid, grounded, and comfortable. You can't fake it. The body intelligence doesn't do lies. It gets frightened, it gets nervous, it gets tense, but it tells you exactly, because it's got no concepts in it. It's direct experience. You go to that, you should be able to figure out. A few breaths, lingering in, and feeling what needs to be relaxed, what needs to be strengthened. You're doing the same process. What kind of body do you cultivate? You you abandon sluggishness. You abandon slouching. You abandon compression. And you pick up vigor in the body, strength in the body, balance in the body. And this is how you establish your your ground for meditation. And then within that, if that feels comfortable, okay, now is the time. That's been achieved. Good. That piece of desire has been achieved. I've established here. Now where? Let's see if I can, you know, get more steadied within that. And then the breathing becomes a useful means. Because it, it does affect the mind. It quiets and it causes what we call the mind or the heart, it causes joy to arise. Mm. It helps to dislodge straggling thoughts by itself. if you take it from the right place as a bodily experience, as a bodily energy feeling gladdened by that that will dispel unnecessary thoughts whereas if you're coming from the idea of mindfulness you're already starting from the wrong place the idea of breathing, you're starting in the wrong place. That's a head place. That's a concept. You feel it. How is that? Take your time. The nature of our mind, our chitta, is when it touches into skillful qualities, it starts to expand and feel comfortable. It's a beautiful flowering. Unskillful qualities, it starts to agitate, get stirred, get tense, get driven, get hard. You can feel it. Nothing wrong there. Shift. When you get into something unskillful, okay, widen the loop of mindfulness, here's a body, sitting, walking, standing, step back. Use your desires then to just find your foundation again, re-establish the foundation. Don't mess with the unskillful states, don't start criticizing, complaining, feeling bad about it, just find your foundation. Your motivation then is to go back to your safe, steady place. Let the old stuff just pass through, pass through. Don't participate. So you flex. 
flexing your attention. And this is the way you, even unskillful states, teach you wisdom. They teach you how to stand back, how how to hold your ground, how to be patient. And how to realize these unskillful states are based upon something. (laughs) So you can investigate unskillful states when you have a foundation, where you're not going to get caught in them, and you can investigate unskillful states. This one is just escapism, fantasizing. I can feel it's kind of like drug. You know, buzzing away on this and that and this and that. You know. A number of scenarios one can concoct. If I wasn't here, I could be, I could be, wow, I could be in Ibiza, I could be on a sunny beach, my girlfriend, guitar. Oh, wow, you know. Of course, in the world of imagination, you only imagine things absolutely always ideal. Hmm? Always imagine. I don't think, well, I'll sort of be on a beach, but it's raining. No. <laughs> or be a beach with plastic bottles. And my girlfriend will have a headache. No, she's in a great state. There are no plastic bottles on the beach. It's sunny, always in, my, in the fantasies, yeah. There's nobody, no drunk lurching down the beach. It's all just absolutely perfect. You know, fantasies, you, you know, just artistic works of art. And glowing, you think, and then you get, <laughs> wake up, you think, wait a minute. <laughs> Does that ever happen? <laughs> and where am I now? How come I've lost my Awareness of my body in the here and now. Because the body doesn't support fantasies. Go back to that. Mental energy is then held back by the body. Can't. You've got to lose it. You've got to lose the body to get into a real detailed fantasy. Or you get angry, righteous, views and opinions. If he was a good Buddhist, he wouldn't do this. If these people really know how to practice, they wouldn't wear those clothes. If they were really sincere, he wouldn't do this and that and the other. What's happening? There's pressure building up my head. Uh, Eyes are starting to bulge a little bit. Seem to have lost touch with my feet. <laughs> Hands are start getting tense and tight. Ah, it's time to step back. Of course, they're all very convincing. When you have a strong view, they're always, it's absolutely right. You don't have a kind of half view. You have crystal clear, blazing views. Hmm. And you feel what that's like. What, how painful it is to be right. When you're right in that righteous way. Suffering. This is something to step back. What's that based on? Resistance. Oh, I don't want to do. I don't have to do this. I don't. I should do that. What does that feel like? Spineless. Unskillful. Defensive. Unskillful. Pause. What's that based on? So acknowledging some of these these qualities that occur in in practice, you know, fantasies, um, anxieties, whole scenarios, and this is pretty much par for the course. It's like you're you're 
clearing all these old tendencies and the energies, these confused energies that produce all this stuff. Complaining, critical, grumpy, fantasizing, so forth. Because it's like, you know, these are these are the tests and then your practice is very simple. Just stepping back, body, walking, standing, sitting, working. Where do skillful states arise in these conditions? There'll be the stepping back. Most of us will need to put our energy into something positive to counterbalance simple things. Helping out, working together, cooperating. Very simple, not complicated. Just something that gives a sense of uh, coming out of our hypnotized stories and narratives because these however convincing however many statistics they have however many memories of the past they have all you want to know is unskillful or skillful how does it feel and your desire to to know that and then from there what's needed what's needed withdraw Step back, investigate, compensate, you know, feeling like this, and bring something up to compensate it. Feeling incredibly alone and miserable and lost and alone, and I can't make it, I'm so pathetic and so forth. One of those. (laughs) Okay, now's the time to just uh, join in, do the washing up and get on with the day. So we see just even the very fundamentals of human existence, you see there's an opportunity. Come out of the self-pity and just look to support others. Simple ways. Because this is where we can find skillful states arise. Keeping that focus. Remember occasion <laughs> when a, one of our Thai supporters who had one a very a noodle shop. He stole all kinds of different kinds of noodles that restaurants could purchase different noodles to cook in their restaurants and he had a very good noodle shop and then one day somebody ripped it off ripped off all his smashed into it and stole all his stuff he was really fed up annoyed so to go to one of these big cash and carry warehouses and buy a whole lot more equipment and when he did he found out they'd they'd overcharged him so he got even more fed up and annoyed and angry I was so fed up, annoyed, and angry, and ripped off. I don't want to I'll go to the monastery and make a big and offer a whole load of food. That'll make me feel better. <laughs> you see, <laughs> it's not now. I'm going to get righteous, and all these people rip me off, and sit and think about them, and wish them, and get caught up in anger and ill will, and da 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 da. But no, I'll bring up something gives me a sense of warmth and love and generosity turn back to that you're looking very directly at the mind state and what when you get dealt a tough time which happens you know life's not fair we get wrong stuff happens we get attacked we get ripped off we get what can you do about it? Yeah. Let your heart get saturated with anger and ill will and fear? No, let's go back to somewhere where I can feel joyful, warm-hearted, yeah, friendly. Cultivate that. 
Look after what can be saved. Life is a tough practice. There are no survivors of life, in a way. But there's the, you pass through this obstacle course. You pass through this obstacle course, just using it to bring skillful states. And it's like, do that, the end of it, say, okay, you're let off. You don't have to come back to this again. <laughs> You've been through it. And that's the way to to uh, get a perspective as if this is some place where you're going to get it all together exactly nice the way you want it and everybody's friendly and everybody's good and this is works and that works and mm, I doubt it it may happen for a while until you know you know you know the stories don't you old age sickness death separation from the loved You've heard all this. And yet in that dream, when things are working, we forget that. So really with right view, you don't even aim for it. You don't even aim for worldly success. If it happens, it happens. You aim for what can be achieved. You desire for what you can achieve the purification, the liberation of the heart. When that's done, you've fulfilled your desire. Mm. And as you cultivate, get some foundation, you get steadier, you get competent, then you look at things to test yourself. Commitments. See if there's anything left any foundation for unskillful states. You want to take it a step further. Test yourself. You know. This is the Dutanga spirit. Dutanga's taking on testing practices, such as long vigils, commitments to precepts, commitments to a community. You know, these are testing practices because it's not going to be all right all the time. It's going to be tiring. It's going to be confusing. It's going to go up and down. It's not going to be the way you want it. It's going to be little conflicts and issues and things to deal with. You didn't really want to bother to deal with. <laughs> and why can't he do this? And why don't she do that? Why is it like this? Uh-huh. Testing, testing. Yeah. <laughs> what is needed? Yeah. What's investigate. What's needed? Investigate. What's the foundation for that suffering? Investigate. Hmm. You want something. You want the world to be something. Hmm. Yeah. So I remember when we were practicing Chittaviveka when we started it, and there was no guarantees it was even going to survive. We, we were just about getting by in London. Eight million people around us, just about getting by on food. And we go and live in this hamlet nobody even heard of, down in West Sussex, with ten people living in it, with none of them Buddhist. Where are you going to get your arms food from? Nobody, don't know. Well, been offered a place to stay. There you go. And the English Sangha Trust used all their resources to purchase the place. It was just, they said, well, we can get you rice, tea, beans, and sugar. That's about it. That's all we can possibly afford. The rest of it, get lucky. <laughs> okay. Survive. You know, the building was derelict. 
You know, the electricity blew on day one. No hot water. No showers. There was only two rooms that had solid floors in them. The rest of it was like biscuits that crumpled. Holes in the roof. Yeah. And uh, then there was no permission to be a monastery. So we thought, well, we might even get thrown out. So you can't live here. Because its place was pretty merely unlivable. Pretty nearly unlivable. They had a site hut, which is just the wooden building for putting tools in. A couple of monks used to live in this old building hut. Yeah. And that was the luxury. Only <laughs> the rest of us are three or four in a room trying to find a piece of floor that wouldn't fall away. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the feeling was, well, you know, if it all fails, it was good practice. <laughs> Just to sort of give up. Give up security, give up security, give it up, just just go forth with faith, you know. Uh, and together, operate together. This is no place to start carving out your own territory and getting your own way. you just got to hang together, cooperate. Yeah. And it, it's strange because it was, a, it was kind of people get irritable, they get tired, they get grumpy, they work hard. Yet somehow there was a kind of energy of cooperation. It was a fact of life to survive. And okay, something skillful could come out of that. Not that that's the way it has to be, but a rough situation like that still you can find. You know, this is not no point complaining. It's not anybody's fault. You know, we just got to get on. And. A lot of the pettiness drops away. Hmm. So you the unskillful state, unskillful condition, unfortunate condition, cultivates skill within it. We started Amrawati. I started Han. It was it was even worse. <laughs> Freezing cold, no heat, Northumberland snow coming in through the door. The door didn't even reach the floor. The front door didn't reach the floor. So snow used to blow into the hallway. There was no hot water. In fact, there was only one tap, which had cold water, cold water tap. Yeah. Hmm. Freezing cold. I mean, they, 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 managed to, they managed to get a toilet inside, but there was no glass in the window, so the snow used to come in. You had to sweep the snow off the toilet seat in the morning. Freezing cold. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, I did that. Jeez, you know, working all the time, drilling holes in a granite wall. That was the practice. Okay, that, and then they started Amrawati. And that was freezing cold. <laughs> they switched the heat off because we couldn't afford the oil. So, I thought, what is it about monasteries? They're always freezing cold. I hope we don't start another one. <laughs> There's always freezing cold, hardship, and work. And you thinking? And at the same time, thinking, yeah, same time, sense of purpose, very clear. Help out. Get on with it. Support each other. Don't get caught up with details. Ah, oh, clearing the mind. Clearing the mind. You know? Why should we live comfortably? What's the, what's the rule about that? Did I go forth into... I go forth into living comfortably. <laughs> nope. Root of a tree... Handful of food, fermented urine, rag. <laughs> right. <laughs> it didn't say freezing cold monastery, but I'm sure that would have been okay. Oh, yeah, you signed up. Now improve it.
make something skillful out of that. And you, with a bit of practice, you can. Yeah. But you've got to widen your mindfulness beyond focusing on the end of your nose. It's got to be something that bears in mind. We're in this situation. This is how it is now. It's not comfortable. It's not right. It's not fair. You can go into that and suffer. Or you could say, let's get together, put forth energy, we'll do what we can. Good practice. Good practice. If it all falls apart, we've done some good practice. So Amarwadi was a lot of work. I mean, when Paul Samedo, he said, well, you know, if the whole thing falls apart, it doesn't really matter because we've at least done some good practice. Uh-huh. Yeah. What next? We'll see what happens next. Could be, you know, another flop, or it could be a great Buddhist center, or it could be in anything. But right now we're doing good practice. And uh, bringing up skillful states. Fantasizing about the visions of the future, unskillful. Hmm? Keep practicing this. And you realize as you cultivate, you get this particular focus, which is this is an occasion. This is an occasion. An occasion that calls you. Says, now, you know, you've had room to this and that and choose. Now you, you know, you've got to rise up. This is the Tatunga spirit. Take on something you can just about manage and test yourself with it that's the Dutanga spirit and with that you come to this focus of like at least for once in my life on occasions give up the future give up the past and just focus on what you're doing put yourself into it meet the discomforts see how you can use those to sharpen your sati, your mindfulness, deepen your, your foundation, hold your ground, don't collapse, mm. don't spin out, don't start bickering and complaining, hold your ground. Yeah? And you come through stronger, and you come through clearer, and you come through wider and broader and more compassionate. And you do that loving kindness, compassion, mindfulness, it will start to unfold. Because you've met the difficult in the right spirit. And often we find that the skillful states that arise from meeting the difficult, the skillful states that arise from meeting the difficult are of longer duration and significance than skillful states that arise from meeting what's relatively easy. Because, yeah, you know. (laughs) Yeah, it's pleasant, but how firm is it? So you're meeting the difficult, you're going to get stronger, 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 stronger. Mine will not waver, wobble. This is a samadhi. Like that comes through that. So you know you can look at it as like being very quiet and soft and so forth. That could be a way of doing it. But the the tanga spirit is, yeah, you know, get get steady, get your foundations, get your right view, establish that, get firmly grounded, and then start to meet the discomforts as they arise. And as you're getting more comfortable and steady. You begin to test yourself a little bit, you know. Test yourself a little bit. And always in that sense of, you know, am I just getting crazy, over overdoing it, overstretching myself, where I'm losing the ground, losing the foundation, or am I using this to, to make myself firmer and more open? Less me in it. And more just steady presence of mindfulness, awareness, and motivation, purpose.
This is where the old historical person begins to fade out or be transformed by this inner strength of Dhamma. So now's our occasion. You can't do special occasions every day, but most every day there's something you can practice with. And we take on these kind of vigils, things like that. It's a reminder. There's times when you say, okay, now make a commitment, test it, you know, meet some of the sleepiness or the dullness or the discomforts and use them or meet them in a way that brings up skillful resolve and you won't regret it. Feelings will come and go, be pleasant, unpleasant. That's secondary. What's primary is the the deepening strength and resolve of the heart for purification.